Hi, I'm Bobby Weir with The Grateful Dead, and I'm with my good friend, Laurie Brilliant. You know, I was living in an, an ashram in the Himalayan foothills uh, when, when Wavy and the hog farm and my wife and I, when we drove overland in funny colored buses. We actually left from uh, Canterbury. Last rock concert that I was a rock doc for was a, a Pink Floyd concert in Canterbury. And then we all got a couple of buses. We had just made this movie uh, called The Medicine Ball Caravan with Stone Ground. And we decided we'd keep on the bus. And we took two buses from, from England to Kathmandu. <laughs> it took us a couple of years, a lot of time in Afghanistan. And those were very different days. But I was living in, a, in an ashram named Curly Baba's ashram. Uh, my guru, still my guru, even though he's died. Uh, Ram Dass's guru, Steve Jobs's guru, you know all the folks. And we were living there, and um, he told me to go work for the United Nations, for the World Health Organization, which seemed very improbable for a long-haired hippie like me to cut my hair and my beard and go become a diplomat. But I did, and I was the, the mascot or the, the junior kid on that team. But I stayed in India for 10 years. Giraj and I, my wife and I stayed for 10 years in India. So we eradicated smallpox and I saw the last case of smallpox. But all along, at every difficult moment, there was tremendous pressure to stop that campaign, both because it was not believable, especially in the Indian context, but not believable worldwide, that you could eradicate a disease that was once there killing, I'm going to use the word, half a billion People were killed in the 20th century from smallpox. That's not a wordo. There were 500 million who were killed all over the world from smallpox, including two and a half million during the summer of love. We didn't know that. Here we were in Haight-Ashbury. We didn't know around the world children were dying so much from this awful disease. But it is a disease of modernity. It's not a disease only of antiquity. But when that last little girl, Rahima Banu, when she was recovered, and the scabs fell off her body and they were killed by the sun, that ended an unbroken chain of transmission that went back almost 10,000 years. So I got to watch that. But I also got to watch all along as the skeptics and the people with legitimate economic concerns wanted to close down our program because they felt that we were spending too many resources, distracting people from their jobs, all of which is true. You have to choose in life. My French boss would say in uh, her wonderful French uh, aphorisms, to live is to choose. <laughs> and we have to choose now in the United States. By the way, I worked in the polio eradication program. Same thing. You mount a campaign against something which is so harmful and you will always have to make choices. Can we sustain closing everybody off from their lives? No, of course not. Can we a sustain an economy with almost 20% unemployment, most of the unemployed being the people who are already disadvantaged, disadvantaged by race, disadvantaged by, by gender, disadvantaged by socioeconomic class or zip code. It is disproportionately unfair to them. No, of course we can't continue this. But if we don't do this, we would not be facing 50,000 deaths going to 100,000. We'd be facing 500,000 deaths. So we're buying ourselves some time, hoping that the economy can bear the suspension in order to buy the time necessary for another group of heroes, our scientists, 
to develop the vaccines, the antivirals, the treatments that we need so that we can conquer this disease. And by buying the time, then the cavalry arrives. And in this case, the cavalry will be vaccines, antivirals, treatments and cures, and all the other things that we need to have, or else we're helpless in front of this virus because it is a novel virus. I'm working on a, not that anybody much cares, I don't think, but uh, I'm working with a team that we've assembled of basically tech guys, and we're trying to put together a, uh, a way for people to play together live via the internet. Now, you see a lot of clips of people uh, playing together, and it looks like they're playing live, but they're not. That's not possible yet, uh, except under a few circumstances. And uh, the good folks down at the Stanford uh, Computer Center for uh, Research in Music and uh, Acoustics, CCRMA, have a, a lash-up, I guess you'd call it, that allows people to play together live, but it requires the kind of broadband that, that only schools have, that only you know colleges and big ones at that have. And, uh, and we're, trying to, we're trying to streamline that, uh, that setup a little bit, and we've got some guys working on that. And the, what we're working towards is, uh, is uh, I guess, Wolf Bros would, would uh, if we can get this up and running, and we might in the next few days get it up and running. If we can do that, then uh, I guess Wolf Bros will finish their tour. Just from our couches. We grew up thinking, you know, like Cortez, this great conquistador, that he came to South America and he conquered the Aztecs or the Incas. This is what we were taught in school. But I would tell you, it was not Cortez that conquered or killed the Aztecs. It was smallpox, which came with him on the ship, but traveled faster than the conquistadors did. So when he came to the Aztec villages and communities, they were already decimated. That's because for those indigenous communities, and even for the indigenous communities in North America, smallpox was a novel virus. They had no immunity to it. They had no history with it. Their bodies had not adapted to it. Just like this COVID-19. This coronavirus is a novel virus to nearly 8 billion of us today. That's what I want you to think about. I don't want people to think, oh my God, it's a respiratory disease. It's like a cold. It's like influenza. Yes, it's a respiratory disease like smallpox spread by respiration. But the smallpox virus affected every cell in the body and so does COVID. COVID affects your kidneys. There's bleeding in your urine that affects your heart. There's there's death from heart failure, it affects your liver, it affects your lungs. We know it affects smell and taste. Younger people have had strokes. This is a very serious disease. Do not be confused because it has a high number of asymptomatic cases. In other words, people who get the virus and they don't get symptoms. So what? <laughs> it does not reduce the number of people who have a serious disease, wind up in the hospital, face death or ventilator kind of choices. The fact that there's a lot of people who get an easy 
case is good news. But don't let them say, oh, well, that means that the case fatality rate is like flu or that it's, we have 50,000 deaths after two months. Just think about that. A month ago, we had 1,000 total deaths in the United States. Today, we're at 55,000. We're going to have 60,000 before you can catch your breath. Be safe. Come on. Uh, you know, it's be good to yourself, be good to your community. It amounts to the same thing. Everybody has to be cool. If you had the disease and you recovered, please call your local blood bank, Red Cross, or whoever you would consider giving blood to, and uh, donate blood because your convalescent blood, convalescent serum is magic. It will save somebody's life. Call the blood bank offer to be tested. If you have seroconverted or shown that you have antibodies, you have the gift of life in your body to donate blood. If you believe you have the disease and you have a cough and you're not sure about it, don't take any chances. Call your physician, call your practitioner, and push them hard so you can get tested. Uh, in the beginning, the first two months, there were no tests available. Now there are tests available, but they are being rationed out to people who are at higher risk. But anybody who has symptoms like that or has been a contact of somebody who has symptoms like that should be tested for the virus, not for the antibody, but for the virus. And for all the rest of us, wash your hands. When you go out in public, wear a mask, wear glasses, wear a hat, wear gloves. Why the glasses? Because the virus enters through the eye as well as through the mouth. And you don't want to have somebody sneeze and have your mouth protected by a mask, but your eyes not. Why a hat? Same reason. When people sneeze, the virus can be propelled 12 feet, not just six feet. And when the virus lands, it's going to land on your head. Better that you have two hats like I do. One I leave at the front door, and that stays outside. That does not come in my house. I have a pair of glasses that I wear, my outside glasses. Uh, and wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Stay six feet apart. And as we begin under the most earnest and reasonable guidelines to begin to open up carefully, don't push the envelope. When you're wearing a mask, I, there's a great website called uh, I'm Wearing This Mask for a Friend. Wear it for a friend. It's a hashtag. Um, you're really wearing that mask for your grandmother and you're wearing it for the person who's homeless in your area or the people in a high-risk ethnic or socioeconomic community. They're the ones who will be hurt if you don't wear a mask. It's not really wearing the mask to protect yourself. This is a true chance to be that bodhisattva, to be that karma yoga, karma yogi practitioner, and uh, to be that sadhik and really help others by wearing a mask. You know, a lot of people are taking it on the chin, uh, obviously. I guess folks who sell records are going to do okay because you can still buy records, but the, the vast majority of uh, the music scene these days is, is supported by their touring, and that's just not happening. We're just going to see what shakes out of it. I see us at the very beginning. I don't see us in the middle. I certainly don't see us at the peak. I don't think there is a peak uh, that is in the way that we've got this image. We, you know, all of us saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and we have this image, you know, of a, of a, of a mesa <laughs> on which the 
um, the aliens are going to land. And we've got an image in our mind of Mount Shasta or Mount Fuji, perfectly symmetrical, solitary mountain where the upslope and the downslope are the same. Um, the, 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 they look like they're the mirror image of the decline and the incline of each other. That's not happening. We're going to have a plateau, and this is better looked at not as a peak, but as the front wave of a tsunami that's followed by a whole series of echo waves and wave wavelets. Speaking about wavy gravy, wavelets, um, and it's going to continue. This virus is going to be with us for at least three years. The program to eliminate it is going to take a long time. And that doesn't mean we're going to be like this, locked down, you know, 19% unemployment, no, no chance to go out for a walk. I don't mean it's going to be with us like this. You, you have to understand that everything we're doing today, the idea of social distancing, which please let's call physical distancing, let's stay socially very tight together and but physically distant. So this idea of physical distancing and uh, closing everything, closing the schools and closing all the, uh, all the events, this is plan B or C because we couldn't do plan A because of the incompetence of the national government. And by that I mean the fumble, if we're going to be generous, on the ability to get testing out, the, the disdain for the pandemic, calling it fake news, saying it was a democratic hoax. If anyone now still believes that this is a hoax or this is fake, they must be living on another planet. They sure don't see the children who, you know, are left as orphans because their parents died. They don't see the deaths in the nursing homes. They don't see the uh, disproportionate deaths in the African-American community and the homelessness and those who are homeless. And they, they certainly don't see people who are sickened and die from everything from lung disease to heart disease to kidney disease, um, this virus affects virtually every organ in the body. It's a respiratory disease because of the way it's spread by the respiratory road. It, it, it should never be compared or thought of uh, compared to the common cold or compared to the flu. So we're at the beginning. I think we've done a, a terrific job on physical distancing. That's what will flatten the curve. But flattening the curve does not decrease the total number of cases. It just pushes them off into the future, by which time we all hope, and I do believe the cavalry will arrive in the form of vaccines that will uh, bring us up to the kind of herd immunity that will put this, this terrible coronavirus into the dustbin of history. You cannot go outside without realizing that our first responders are there working their butts off, that the people who deliver food or help you at the grocery store are coming to work every day, that the postal clerk whose slogan is neither rain nor sleet nor COVID can stop them from making their appointed rounds or continue to the doctors and the nurses that without having enough personal protective equipment every day are going to work. And we have a treatment, this convalescent serum, it works taking the blood from somebody who's had the disease, spinning it down, 
getting plasma or serum, and then using that to inject in people who are really sick. It works. We just don't have enough of it. It will reduce the severity of everybody's disease. And we're getting tests that are improving every day. The progress on the vaccine is really sensational. Uh, Bill Gates uh, has a, offered to make seven factories, each one making a different vaccine, even though he knows that six out of those seven, or even all seven of them, won't work. And we're doing things in science for the first time. I'll use a funny tech term, but we're, we're doing things in parallel that we used to do in series. And by what I mean is that we used to do safety trials of vaccines. When we knew that it was safe, we would do efficacy trials to see if it was effective. Then we do efficiency trials to see if we could make it. Uh, we're now doing those in parallel. So we're doing safety and efficiency and effectiveness trials all at once. That will shorten the time it takes us to get a vaccine. And for my friends who are, are vaccine skeptics or vaccine hesitant, talk to me in a little while. But right now, the world is desperate to have a vaccine will stop this virus. And whatever you may think about other vaccines, I, with my own eyes, have seen that smallpox could only be eradicated with a vaccine. Polio could only be eradicated with a vaccine. This falls in that category, not in the category of those vaccines that you might be skeptical about. It just, uh, everything sort of snowballed and uh, and we realized that we couldn't be doing this. We, 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 had, to, we had to go home. And until recently, we thought we had found the first deaths in late March. But recently we found uh, a woman uh, here in Northern California who had died on March 5th, but was refused to get a test because she didn't fit the ridiculously narrow definition that permitted the ridiculously scarce tests to be used on her. Uh, so she died without a diagnosis. In the past week, there's been an autopsy performed on her and she did die of COVID, and, and she died on March 5th, making her the first death in the United States. So I would say we didn't do as well on case finding as we thought we did. But as far as the response, I would give us an F so far, whereas I would give an A to New Zealand, I would give an A to Taiwan, I would give uh, an A to Iceland, I'd give a B or a B plus to Germany, to uh, South Korea, and to Singapore, which did really well in the beginning and then let their guard down and had uh, a huge second wave. I'd put us in the category of North Italy, uh, which get a, get, unfortunately also gets an F, but I shouldn't be in the business of giving grades. Okay, New Zealand and Iceland and Taiwan are islands. <laughs> so maybe their reason for being good is that they're small islands. I get that. But you know, surely South Korea, uh, which has developed which was laid off the block. I mean, they, they also denied or didn't see your, uh, the outbreak for three weeks. But once they saw it, the first case in the United States and the first case in South Korea were the same day. Three weeks later, South Korea had done 300,000 tests, and we, we had done 10,000. What's wrong with this picture? As a result, South Korea chased down, contact traced, found all of the contacts of cases that could be carrying the disease. And so they had a very brief and not tremendously disruptive period of close down and contact tracing and containment. 
But look what we've done. Uh, not just have we fumbled the response to the disease, look at what we've done to the economy because of our ham-fisted way of responding to, to use plan B or C because we failed to use plan A. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I get calls all the time from doctors in Italy and Russia and, and LA and New York and Washington State who have patients in the hospital in the intensive care unit and they watch these patients come in. Sometimes they're healthy young people, sometimes they're elderly, and they go through this cadence of the, they seem to be getting better and then on the eighth day it gets worse and then rapidly they, they descend into much more serious disease and then they need ventilators or ICU beds that they just don't have in New York or they, they are beginning to have now, I should be fair to say. We need to understand the demands that this virus places on the whole medical care system, all the hospitals, all the doctors. We need to understand that if we are not preventing it, there's nothing we can do to make up for the time we lose. We don't have an antidote. We don't have a treatment. We don't have um, an antiviral. We don't have a vaccine. How is it possible that the week we passed 50,000 deaths a month ago, we had 1,000 deaths in the United States. We've doubled the number of deaths in, in two weeks. At the time we're looking at something like that, we get Georgia opening up the state to massage therapists. Nothing wrong with massage therapists. Tattoo artists, nothing wrong with tattoo artists. Nail salons, nothing wrong with nail salons. These are very intimate relationships in which social distancing is almost impossible. And Georgia's opening up and the president is uh, asking the question whether we should be uh, shooting up with uh, detergent or bleach. What planet are we li living on? We have to follow what our parents taught us. Uh, a stitch in time saves nine. We need to prevent this. Well, I'm finding other stuff to do. I'm working on my Photoshop skills and, uh, and writing and that kind of thing. I take photographs and then I, and then I, I guess manipulate them is, uh, is what, you, what you'd say and, and uh, trying to make art out of them and uh, take them into separations and, and silkscreen them and that kind of thing. At some point, I'm, I guess I'm going to have to have a show. Yeah. That's Grateful Dead's Bob Weir speaking with fellow deadhead and pandemic expert Larry Brilliant. This COVID-19 awareness feature was on the weekly syndicated Grateful Dead radio program, Official Tapes. For more information, visit officialtapes.com.